didn't have chest hair, so we Alright, well, how's everybody doing today, huh? Woo! Hey, man, you look crap. It's good to see a lot of y'all. Coming on for the summer, coming back, it's great. Hey, if you uh, haven't been coming this summer, you're probably going to be a little bit confused, but we've been doing a series over men and women of God in history. Like, basically, we're talking about people that did something for Jesus that aren't in the Bible, uh, because I think it's pretty cool to learn about those people and and have their lives like speak to us and challenge us, right? Because it just kind of shows that you can walk with God, do something for Jesus, and uh, you don't have to live in biblical times. You can live in like normal times, which is pretty important, yeah. right? Amen? So uh, today we're going to talk about uh, one of my heroes in the faith, obviously, uh, George McDonald, right? Uh, now, this guy did not have a farm, uh, but he had, <laughs> um, but uh, hey, can we go back to the to Alex Rodriguez's book? So, um, D. Alexander Rodriguez, right? This is not the baseball player that like played for the Yankees. I'm really sorry. That guy doesn't walk with God, obviously. Um, but uh, my friend, it really is obvious. Just read some news headlines. But um, my friend Alex, he uh, he and I went to college together um, and came out of the same Chi Alpha. He is now the national training director of all of Chi Alpha, like the whole country. Like, he's my boss, it's pretty cool. But uh, that man has a devotional life, like I've never seen like in real time, right? Like, um, you, you read about people that pray, right? You know, there's there's a Scottish preacher named Praying Hyde, right? Praying Hyde, how do you think he got that nickname, right? Not by scrolling Instagram, because uh, they didn't have it back then. But uh, pretty high, like, when he died, like, there were grooves in his hardwood floor at the foot of his bed because he spent so much time kneeling in prayer. Like, no joke, praying high, right? Uh, so you read about, like, people's prayer life like that, or, or David Brainerd, the guy that we're just not going to get to this summer, but I wish we could. But Alex Rodriguez is up there. I remember when he first started walking with God, and he would just start praying. Like, and he would pray for hours a day. He would just spend time with God, and so that book that he wrote, Real Devotion, you can pick it up, I think it's like 20 bucks, if you go to wisdomhousepubs.com, .org, something like that, just Google it, you'll find it, um, but you can, like that book is, is written from a place of experience, like these are the things that he wrestled through and struggled with, and uh, I don't know, I'm kind of biased, he's like one of my best friends in the world, but uh, I really am impressed with this man because of this book, right? So the cool thing about that book, though, is that Alex can now reach more people through the printed word than he could if it was just word of mouth, right? If he was just traveling around preaching sermons, there's no way he could reach as many people as he can now that that book's out, right? In the same way, that's what happened to George McDonald, right? George McDonald is probably one of the most influential Christians in the last 200 years, and I don't feel like I'm exaggerating at all, but nobody knows about him. Like, we just have forgotten that he exists. We just think he had the farm, and he doesn't. But, but Jordan Donald was hugely, hugely important in history. In people living at his time, nobody knew who he was. He wasn't an important figure or anything like that. And even today, there's just a handful of people that actually know who he is and what he wrote, right? So uh, I want to change that, at least for our little group right here, okay? 
So if you have your Bibles open uh, or with you, open up to Philippians chapter 4. Right? If you don't have your Bible with you, that's fine. We'll have it up on the screen and just look at that. Or, you know, if you have your, uh, if you stole your New Testament out of that hotel room, you're looking at page about 1004. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. But wouldn't that be funny if that was right? <laughs> you can steal those Bibles, it's fine. Like, the Gideons are Christians, they have to forgive you. In the Bible, too. It's fine. Alright. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, Thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Isn't that cool? Let's pray it. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would be with us tonight. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through the life of George McDonald. Lord, I pray that you would open up your word to, to the truth and reality that exists therein. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to speak to our hearts and minds and change what needs to be changed. We love you and we trust you. Thank you. Amen. All right, so George McDonald, right? How many of you have actually heard of George McDonald? Raise your hand. Okay, so a handful, right on. Cheryl, you really have? Yeah? That's awesome, okay. Um, I love this guy, okay? I really love this guy. I'm like surprised when people have heard of him, right? I remember, uh, so, here's uh, a spoiler, I, I haven't even told my staff this yet, but uh, we just had some missionaries confirmed for our missions week this November. Steve and Deanne Turley. They were missionaries in Belgium for 25 years now, the church planting in Croatia. They are some of the most amazing people. I remember when I met Steve Turley, and we were talking about authors, and he goes, have you read George McDonald? I'm like, uh, yeah, have you? He's like, have I? I have all of his books. Okay? That's like 60-something books, right? This is the, like no small amount. And I was like, okay, Steve, we're going to be friends. And we have been for the last 10 years now, right? So, whenever I meet somebody that knows George McDonald, I'm just so excited. Okay, so George McDonald was born on December 10th in 1824 in Huntley, Aberdeenshire, Scotland. Right? That's like the western part of Scotland around the city of Aberdeen, which I'm sure you've heard of, right? Everybody's heard about Aberdeen, right? Yeah? Anyway, um, I, this is totally a side note, but he, uh, he spoke this dialect of Scottish, the Scottish called Doric. And it's like incomprehensible. Like I can't just get on YouTube and look up Doric dialect, and it's God. I don't even know what's going on. Have y'all seen uh, Have y'all seen the movie Brave? You know what I'm talking about? Like you know that big dude with the blonde hair that talks gibberish? He's speaking that dialect. That's not gibberish. That's actual. Like people in the world understand what he's saying. That's that's Doric. I don't know what's going on, right? If I was smarter, I would have had a clip on it. But it was just. It's just my God. I would. You need the gift of interpretation to understand that. Amen? All right, like I said, George's dad was a farmer. George's dad was also named George. They're not creative up in Scotland, I guess. And 
I mean, contrary to what you would expect from a farmer in Nowheresville, Scotland, his family was actually highly educated and very literate, right? His father was a big reader and loved reading. Uh, George had uncles and grandparents and cousins that were all scholars in the fields, in fields ranging from linguistics to Celtic studies to even Shakespeare. I mean, these were some smart people. And yet, you know, old McDonald, he had a farm. And so uh, that was George's upbringing, just simple life, kind of idyllic, lots of books and lots of work, right? But George himself was kind of a sickly kid. Um, he seemed to always be fighting some form of lung disease. He was diagnosed with bronchitis and asthmatic and all of this stuff. And when he was an adolescent, his mother and two of his brothers died from tuberculosis. But somehow George made it out. George grew up in church, but he never really felt comfortable in his faith and in his church, which is really interesting to me. He uh, later attended Acton University and graduated in 1845 with a master's degree in chemistry and physics. Double, double master's degree, right? Yeah, so this guy was no slouch. He really did come from an academic, scholarly family. But even through this time, he still struggled with his faith. While he was in college, he, he really wrestled through deep issues and deep uh, troubles he had in his beliefs. Okay, just make sure I didn't turn it off. But somehow, through this struggle in his faith, he, he decided to go ahead and pursue a career in ministry, which doesn't make any sense to me, right? So he went on to study theology at the prestigious Highbury College in London. And if you know anything about universities, that's not a small deal. And upon graduation, he accepted a post as a pastor in Arundel, England, on the south coast of the island. So we're talking down here, Southampton. I mean, they were right on the coast. It was pretty good down there. So evidently, the theological struggles he went through, he, he had figured out a way to reconcile them with what he felt in his heart and what he observed in reality, right? It was during his pastorship that he married his wife, Louise, Louisa, and they had, listen to this, they had six sons and five daughters. It was a happy one, a very happy one. He's twice the man I am. I'm gonna let him have that, right? Damn, Jonathan, you gotta, huh? Yeah. So, whatever discoveries he had had with his faith beforehand, he had resolved them to his liking, but evidently not to the liking of his superiors or to the liking of his church. See, George, at the time, was the pastor of a Congregationalist uh, church, and Congregationalists were like Presbyterians on steroids, right? The Presbyterians believed in the five points of Calvinism. The Congregationalists believed there was at least 11, right? They were very strict and staunch Calvinists in their beliefs. George's issue with this was limited atonement. It's a part of some strands of Calvinist theology that believes that Jesus only died for a certain number of people. It is said that when George learned about this in his adolescence, he wept. Because he just couldn't believe that God would die for a few people and not for everyone. See, the idea that someone created specifically for God to hate was completely and totally repulsive to George. Later he would write, 
I would rather be what God chose to make me than the most glorious creature that I could think of. For to have been thought about, born in God's thought, and then made by God, is the dearest, grandest, and most precious thing in all thinking. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. This guy, there's going to be a lot of quotes from him because he's incredible, okay? But that just shows you the, the value that George McDonald saw in the individual. He didn't agree that some people were created just to be vessels of wrath for God to hate and punish. He believed that each person carried a sacred image of Christ, a part of Jesus with them, that no one else had. That God had formed them uniquely in his thought and had poured out his love upon them in their creation. And this flew in the face of what was the popular theology of the day. See, George's emphasis on the love of God and personal responsibility was contrary to the particular brand of predeterminism common at that time. It flew in the face of the common emphasis on the sovereignty of God. It was thought that God only re revealed himself to the elect. The elect were those few that God had chosen to go to heaven before time began. And what you did or did not do had nothing to do with whether you were elect or not. George didn't agree with this. He once wrote, It is to the man who is trying to live, to the man who is obedient to the word of the master, that the word of the master unfolds itself. Do you see that? Yeah. It's about what you choose to do. It's about what you choose to believe. It's about who you choose to pursue, whether it's pursuits other than God or God himself. And when you pursue God himself, that's when God reveals himself to you. Kind of sounds like something in the Bible, like draw near to God and come draw near to you. I'm not sure if that's in James chapter 4 or not, but uh, it might be. George also said this, it was contrary to the popular understanding of the sovereignty of God. He says, there is this difference between the growth of some human beings and that of others. In the one case, it is a continuous dying. In the other, a continuous resurrection. Where God was viewed as a powerful king, George saw more of a loving father. It was thought that God decided before time began if you were going to be a vessel of wrath or a vessel of blessing. And everything in your life was grown out of that. Basically, at birth, you either got like horns or a halo, red H or blue H, you know, you're done, right? That's how they thought about it. But that was just repugnant to George's soul. He says, but we believe, nay, Lord, we only hope that one day we shall think thee perfectly. The pain and hope and all that led or drove us back into the bosom of thy love. Not that he was a father or a sovereign king or some all-powerful man being in the sky. No, he was, a, he was a loving God. He was a loving Savior. It was constantly using all of the earth, all of creation, all of your experience to draw you back into his love. He said this, I believe that no man is ever condemned for any sin except one. He will not leave his sins and come out of them and be the child of him who is his father. Is that beautiful? Are you guys catching this? Do I need to reread that one? Because that one made me cry when I read it. 
I believe that no man is ever condemned for any sin except one. That he will not leave his sins and come out of them and be the child of him who is his father. The depth of understanding of God's love in that moment, in that statement. After three tumultuous years and having his pay cut in half, he finally resigned the pulpit in southern England. Because of his belief in God's love for everyone, he found most of the churches in England were close to him. And his calling as a preacher was taken from him. All the years of training, just gone now. So George then had to figure out a way to provide for his family and his 11 children. So George scraped a living out of part-time lecturing at universities and as an editor of various magazines and papers. This mode of living continued for most of his life, along with his bouts of illness and tuberculosis. During this time, he would lose four of his children to various plagues and outbreaks in England. About 13 years after he resigned his post, he published his first book, titled David Elgidrada, and found a new way to preach his sermons. See, the Lord made a way for George. All of those beautiful thoughts that he had kicking around in his mind, he found a way to preach sermons even though he didn't have the pulpit. He decided to write books. So he went on to publish 42 novels, 14 collections of poetry, and 13 works of nonfiction, including sermon collections and commentaries. He is also called the father of the fantasy genre because his books Fantasties, At the Back of the North Wind, and Lilith are almost genre-defying. De defying. His belief that God loved everyone and everyone was personal resp personally responsible for their own response to God was also reflected in his many friendships. How many of you have heard of the book Alice in Wonderland? And you probably read it or watched the movie, right? That book would not have been printed if it weren't for uh, George McDonald. See, his friend, Lewis Carroll, who didn't know Jesus, had a manuscript of a book that he'd written and gave it to George, and he read it to his children. And they liked it. So they gave it back to Lewis Carroll and said, hey, this should be a book. And now we have that book. How many of you have heard of Peter Pan? J.M. Barry. Now, George McDonald is one of his literary mentors, a close friend. Lord Alfred Tennyson, one of the most famous British poets, counted George as a close friend and a confidant. Or some other names that you might have heard in like your English classes, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, Oliver Wendell Holmes and Mark Twain all counted him as a close friend. Some of these men mocked him back, some of them didn't. But George showed that gentleness and grace that he thought that the Father had shown to all of us. Lastly, another one of his big admirers and close friends is who I think is probably the greatest Christian mind in the last 250 years, G.K. Chesterton. If you haven't picked up any of his books, you need to. 
But despite the acclaim and friendship of all of these famous and successful authors, George's family was always on the brink of poverty, even coming to close to starvation on several occasions. It was never a rousing success, and few recognized the genius of his work. But through the potential petition of his influential friends, Queen Victoria herself became his patroness in 1877. And after almost 30 years of labor and near starvation, he finally had money. Look at the suffering. Look at the hardship he went through. Endlessly riding, toiling, slaving away. No one cared. No one noticed. Seeing all of his friends gain fame and notoriety. People he would advise on how to make their books and stories better. Yet there he sat in the shade and obscurity for 30 long years. So finally, after those long years, his financial struggles were more or less resolved when the Empress of the British Empire decides that she's going to put you on her dole. You're pretty well set after that. But George MacDonald still lived the rest of his life in relative obscurity, appreciated by some, but largely ignored by many. He was often dismissed as an author of children's fairy tales. He said, I write not for children, but for the childlike, whether they be five or fifty or seventy-five. He also said, to cease to, cease to wonder is to fall plumb down from the childlike to the commonplace the most undivine of all moods intellectually. Our nature can never be at home among things that are not wondrous to us. Maybe you've heard of some of his fairy tales, The Princess and the Goblin, or uh, Princess and Curdy. Well, you should read those. They're beautiful. Why haven't I read those to our kids? George continued to struggle with ill health, and eventually was told to move to Italy in hopes that the warmer climate would help heal his lungs. So he lived out the rest of his days in Italy, where he continued writing and lecturing. After 50 years of marriage, his wife Louisa passed in 1902, and at 74, George suffered a stroke that robbed him of his powers of speech. He died seven years later in 1905. Near the end of his life, he wrote this. With his divine alchemy, God turns not only water into wine, but common things into radiant mysteries. Yea, every meal into a Eucharist, and the jaws of death into an outgoing gate. He also said, why do we fear death? No one fears a sunset. Isn't that beautiful? Sorry. George died in obscurity. No one cared. No one noticed his passing. Few people would even know his name. And yet somehow, he had some of the greatest influence on modern Christianity than anyone else. And I want to tell you that part of the story too, because his greatest influence came after his death. See, he was discovered by some of the titans of modern literature, like Madeline the author of A Wrinkle in Time, 
Dorothy Sayers, J.R.R. Tolkien, and this one guy named C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, upon finding him, said, I, uh, was commenting about him, he said, I have never concealed the fact that I regarded him as my master. Indeed, I fancy I have never written a book in which I did not quote from George MacDonald. He also said that while he was reading a copy of MacDonald's Fantasties, a few hours later, I knew I had crossed a great frontier. I know hardly any other writer who seems closer or more continually close to the spirit of Christ himself. It's from C.S. Lewis. It was through discussions of the works of George MacDonald that Lewis and the other Inklings, Dorothy Sayers, Evan Barfield, and J.R.R. Tolkien, began to discuss truth. Lewis and the others recognized that the truth that George revealed in his works about how myth and fairy tale, they pointed to deeper truths. While the stories weren't true, what the stories represented were more true than the things that were around them in the room. And Lewis realized that if works like George MacDonald's could point to the real tangible truth, then maybe the Bible did the same. Or, as Tolkien and Lewis put it, maybe Jesus was the myth that became fact. Maybe Jesus was a hope that became realized. Shortly thereafter, C.S. Lewis gave his life to Jesus. George never received the acclaim he deserved, but he never seemed to be bothered by it. Now, like, if you've ever read The Chronicles of Narnia, if you've ever read The Space Trilogy by C.S. Lewis, if you've ever read Lord of the Rings or watched Lord of the Rings, those men that created those beautiful stories were inspired by George MacDonald. Even today, very few people know his name, nor do they understand the massive influence he has had on everything from theology to modern pop culture. Oswald Chambers, famous uh, preacher, Many of you might have read his, his famous book, My Utmost for His Highest, right? It's a devotional that should be handed out like candy on Halloween, right? Oswald Chambers said, it is the clearest indication of the state of society that no one reads George MacDonald. His life was one of struggle and heartache, yet he found a depth of richness with relationship, in relationship with Jesus. Even saying, come then affliction, if my father wills, and be my frowning friend. A friend that frowns is better than a smiling enemy. Do we have that kind of relationship with Jesus? Yet though not being allowed to preach, through constant poverty, ill health of himself and his loved ones, seeing his friends get the acclaim and riches for their work, he remained Content. He trusted God, saying, Few delights can equal the mere presence of one whom we trust utterly. Though the way that he wanted to go was shut to him, he still found a way to work for God. He found a way to be content and even rejoice with where God had placed him. He trusted God. He said, To be trusted is a greater compliment than being loved. 
I think this is one of the most profound sentences he ever wrote. You cannot trust someone that you don't know. If you don't trust God, it is because you don't know him. And though George's life was nothing close to what we would call success in terms of reputation or converts, or preaching, or any of these things that you might say. Never was he close to being a success. He was always content. You will not find a page of him writing or complaining. It was because he knew God. Because he had a deep, abiding relationship with Jesus. He knew him well enough to trust him. So what can we learn from the life of George McDonald? We can learn that God will not waste a life of faithful obedience and loving trust. He showed us how the adjectives in that sentence are just as important as the nouns. It is not enough that we are obedient, but we must be faithfully obedient. That is something that the Lord can use to shape the earth. George wrote, we must do the thing we must before the thing we may. We are unfit for any trust till we can and do obey. It's not enough for us to trust, but we also have to lovingly trust. To be utterly convinced that what God puts before us is the best thing for us. And not just for us, but the world around us. He said, I am sometimes almost terrified at the scope of the demands made upon me, at the perfection of the self-abandonment required of me, yet outside of such absoluteness can be no salvation. Some of you small group leaders are going to feel the reality of that this fall. When you step on that campus and there's freshmen waiting for you to meet them. Philippians 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Does that sound like the life of George McDonald? Why do we rejoice? Why are we supposed to be gentle to all? Because the Lord is here. Because that's how the Lord is. Rejoice that He is close to you. Rejoice that He is close to others. Why are we not to be anxious? Because we have prayed to God and He has heard us. He has heard all of our prayers. Now, the answer may not be to our liking, but the, but the peace of God comes when we trust that God has given us for his best. You can only do that if you have a deep, abiding relationship with Jesus. George wrote, man finds it hard to get what he wants because he does not want the best. God finds it hard to give because he would give the best 
and man would not participate. This is the peace of God. This is trust in God. Whatever you receive in that moment, that's the best. It may not be the best for you, but it will be the best for everyone around you. Do you see that? If George had not spent those lonely years struggling to scrape a living in obscurity, how many books do you think he would have wrote? Do you think C.S. Lewis would have found him? Do you understand what I mean? Verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. There is no substitute for a rich devotional life. Indeed, this is what carried George through all of the tumults of his life and produced such fragrant fruit. If we can have such faithful obedience and loving trust as George McDonald had, then who knows what the Lord could do with our lives. Whether it be in the time that we are alive, or long after we pass on to glory, or without the anchor of our devotion, we cannot hope to be free from anxiety or find reason to rejoice in pain or obscurity. George MacDonald wrote the shortest sermon I think I've ever read. He said this, The lightning and thunder, they go and they come, but the stars and the stillness are always common. The lightning and thunder, they go and they come, the stars and the stillness are always at home. I think what challenges me most George's life is the devotion that he had with God. Not devotion as in like commitment, but devotion as in relationship. He spent time with Jesus. You can't produce over 50 books that are just dripping with the Holy Spirit without spending time with him. You can't go through the things that George went through still just have the fragrance of heaven about you without spending time with Jesus. Because he knew that the stars and the stillness are always coming. Lightning, thunder, clouds, they whip through the heavens. But the stars are always there, untroubled by what they're doing. And that's what challenges me is to have the kind of devotional life, to have the relationship with God, to have the prayer life with Jesus. It is like a thick star in the sky. That no matter what's going on in the skies around me, I'm at home. And I'm unmoved. It, it, it would be really easy for me to say, all right, 
Now, if you're struggling with anxiety, let's come to the front and let's pray, right? Because, I mean, like, probably nine out of ten of you are dealing with anxiety. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But maybe, just maybe, we can follow the example of George and Tom. We can read the words of Paul in Philippians. And we can learn a little bit. And maybe what our minds are dwelling on is preventing us from being able to rejoice in Maybe what our minds are dwelling on is preventing us from being able to have our hearts and minds guarded from anxiety. So, I want to ask you, what does your mind dwell on? Are you thinking the thoughts of Jesus? Are you spending time in prayer, listening to audio books about God? Are you spending time thinking about things that are noble, true, pure? hope you are. If you're not, that's okay. Because we're not asking you to conquer the world alone. But we are asking you to gain ground. So we're not going to have any altar time or any music to close. Because I just want to challenge you. you grab your phone. Your smarter leader, some of them are smarter. And ask them to hold you account. Hey, look, I've got like zero devotional life. I don't even know what that means. I thought devotionals was like a card selection in Hallmark. <laughs> you know? But why don't you grab somebody and say, hey, can you can you call me once a day and make sure that I've read through my Bible? Even if it's just five minutes. Even if it's just Otherwise, the thunder and the lightning is going to go and it's going to come. And it's going to mess up your skies. You will never know the stars in the stillness. You will never always feel at home. But you have to start somewhere. The best time to do it is now, before the chaos of the false message starts. We all get busy. And those things in life begin to out the voice of God. So let's use this time now. Let's be brothers and sisters to one another. Help each other. Learn to pray. Learn to walk with Jesus. Learn to think about whatever's noble and true and good and pure. Amen? And again, we're not asking you to turn into Jordan McDonald. That's not the, that's not what the question is. Just be a little bit better tomorrow than you were today. And therefore, make the whole world good. 